This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to announce on Sunday night, March 6th at 7.30 p.m., I will host a live Ask Me Anything virtual event. I'm going to talk about all things commercial real estate and retail. Check out retailretold.com slash AMA for more details on how to sign up for the event and submit your questions today. Join me on Sunday, March 6th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Sign up today at retailretold.com slash AMA for more information. I hope to see you there. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I am joined by Brandon Singer and Michael Cody, the founders of Mona, a retail, a boutique retail advisory firm. Uh, I am excited for them to be here. They've got a cool story for us, and they are industry veterans who have a lot of knowledge in the industry. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us, Chris. Much appreciate the time. Yeah. So, Brandon, Michael, Brandon, I'll start you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, Mona, and then Michael, tell us a little bit more about you. Sure. Um, I am a uh, 15-year retail real estate broker, straight out of college. It's the only thing I've ever done professionally. I'm 36 years old. Um, I am born and raised in the New York metropolitan area, went to college in Washington, D.C., then came back to New York City right after college in 2007 and um, have been leasing retail space all along the way. Um, I was at, I started my career at uh, RKF, which, you know, doesn't exist anymore. And then a couple years after being, uh, after uh, joining RKF, I made the switch over to Cushman and Wakefield, where I was for the vast majority of my career, where I met Michael. Um, We partnered up there. And then in the middle of the pandemic, September of 2020, um, Michael and I resigned from Cushman and launched um, the firm Mona, M-O-N-A. Mona stands for Making of a New Age and is focused on the renaissance of retail. Obviously, the Mona Lisa is the most famous artwork uh, from the renaissance period, and we figured the name Mona uh, was a tribute to that, focused on where we are as a retail real estate industry and sort of the changes that are taking place uh, in today's day and age. So that's a little about me, Mike. Okay, so I'm an eight-year real estate industry veteran. Um, I started my career off at Cushman Wakefield. I had been doing something completely different. Um, I was in the performing arts world for a long time, and I was just looking for a side gig. Um, I wound up enjoying retail a lot more than I thought I was going to, getting pretty good at it. And uh, when Brandon and I had the chance to go off and kind of do our own thing, it just seemed like a natural progression. So um, I live in Queens. Uh, I'm originally from southwestern Pennsylvania, and uh, that's it. Got it. You said Mona and the Mona Lisa. You, you have some cool artwork behind you. If you notice, my room is not decorated. I have zero artwork here. Uh, what is that behind you? That's pretty cool. First off, it's not mine, but that's one. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a beautiful piece of artwork. I believe it's a Reginald Sylvester is the artist's name. Beautiful. I can show you. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Not mine, though, but beautiful. So... Why don't you guys tell us a little bit more? You started this in September 20. Interesting time, right? Especially in New York, right? In other places in the country, the world was back to what it was pre-pandemic. New York 
that wasn't yet. Tell us about you guys starting your own firm and what the firm really specializes in, what you guys think your, you know, your value proposition to the market is. Sure. So, um, you know, while we were at Cushman, you know, uh, I'd say starting in around 2017 or so up until, um, frankly, the pandemic hit, Michael and I were really sort of focused on the, what we call the, the new age of retail, a lot of new interesting concepts and, and companies that were um, either coming to us to represent them to help find space or we were representing landlords and it just so happened that we were transacting on leases with a lot of those companies, some of which being Supreme on the Bowery um, or Showfields or Beta, Eden, uh, you know, a few of them are uh, these companies that I haven't mentioned yet aren't around anymore, unfortunately, as a result of the pandemic in New York City, like Fit House, for example, that was a really cool new age fitness concept. So we were doing a lot of transactions um, for a lot of, like I said, new age companies that were really trying to sort of um, take advantage of at the time, if you recall, specifically in New York City, you know, the retail apocalypse phenomenon, if you walk the high streets of New York, Fifth Avenue, Broadway, Soho, you know, you, you name it, it was like every other store was vacant. So because of that, I guess because of our relatively young age, especially at the time, you know, in our early, I was in my early 30s at the time, but also my experience having worked on some of them, you know, some really major transactions with some really prominent brokers at Cushman, um, it kind of put us in a position that we were able to speak the language with the founders of new age concepts and really understood where they were coming from because we were their customer and we understood it. And we, we were, you know, it wasn't, you weren't, they, they, they felt more comfortable working with us than say a 30 or 40 year old veteran, 40 year retail broker veteran and no disrespect to anyone, but it kind of just felt like a natural progression. And you know, the, the numbers didn't lie. We were transacting on a, on a lot of deals around New York City, around the country. Um, and that's sort of how we made a name for ourselves, independently of our previous experience working on a really big team at Cushman. Um, and it, it kind of went from there. And that's how we started the firm. Excellent. And you mentioned some cool brands. Are, are you still working with some of those brands you mentioned? Yep. Pretty much all of them. That's really cool. The ones that sur- survived the pandemic, but the ones I mentioned, yeah. Yeah. Supreme being one, Supreme being one that's really interesting. You know, uh, I know the store in the Bowery, and they've done some really unbelievable things. So, uh, really cool. Okay, I'm going to take you to the part of the show we call Clear the Air. I've got three questions for each of you, and uh, they're not easy. But are you ready? Ready. All right, let's do let's it. Let's do it. All right. Question one. This is a little easier one. When's the last time you did something for the first time and what was it? Mike, go. Oh, man. I am going to take the cop-out answer because, like, honestly, the pandemic has thrown me off so much. I feel like there's a lot of things I've done for the first time, but they haven't all been fun. I'm going to go with start a company in September of 2020. why you stole my whole thing, dude. (laughs) Touche. I would say – Yesterday, I had kombucha for the first time, and it was delicious. It was very good. Highly recommend. Uh, yeah. I think it's an acquired taste. I'm surprised on the first time you liked it, but I, I no, do enjoy it. No, was definitely like, whoa, what is this? But I liked it. I was, I was into it after a few sips. Yeah. Okay. Kombucha. 
All right. Question two. What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? Mike, go ahead. Um, that the world is round. No, I'm just kidding. I think uh-huh. one thing that a lot of people agree with that I don't is just the fact that retail is stagnant. I, I think that retail is absolutely coming back. I think that there is so much more potential, especially in New York City, for it to get better and better and better. And um, there's been a lot of negativity around retail over the last couple of years, and I don't agree with that at all. Not one bit. Okay. Brandon? Um, you stole my answer again, but that's okay. Um, I would <laughs> go with <laughs> – Sorry. It's okay. I would go with um, – I'd say probably – the whole notion about working from offices being a thing of the past and that work from home is here to stay and every company, that's something I completely disagree with. I think working from offices will come back as soon as sooner than we think. And not that working from home won't be a thing, but I don't think it'll be a, a prominent uh, part of our the way that we conduct commerce. And I have a whole bunch of reasons why. We can probably get into that at another time. But yeah, that's my answer. Give me one reason because that's an interesting one. Um. One reason, I think the obvious one, you know, chances are if you're in a, if you're going to an office, let's say you're in a business, right? You're working for a business and businesses are predicated on selling things and you need people to sell things typically. If you're not there, especially in our business, if you're not there and I am, I'm going to win and I'm going to make, that's just sort of the name of the game. And you got to be around the rim to get the rebound. That's my fundamental belief. Um, and I think because of that, you know, again, like I said, work from home will definitely be a thing, but not like it's been for the past two years. So that's why that's that's my I'd say number one reason. So we've seen in my organization, right? We're a landlord. We own suburban real estate, suburban retail real estate. So an open air suburban retail real estate, right? So we've seen a significant bump from people living at home, right? Not traveling to work. So our, our centers are located in and around where people live, people moving to the burbs. So we've seen a bump. And I think we, we're not closing our office. We have an office where we're, we're going to our office. And, but I think the office is going to be different. We put in a flex policy where three days you work from the office, two days you work from home. And to give people flexibility, I don't think that's going anywhere. I think that can changes consumer behavior and shopping, right? I was, I recently spoke to the, the uh, guys at F45, if you're familiar with that fitness concept. And I said, so, you know, what is one thing like really that's like change you think really impacted your business that people might not see from the pandemic? And he said, well, now we have daytime classes. We used to have morning and night classes. Now we have daytime classes because people are home during the day and they feel good going to the gym during the day. And so I think consumer behavior is changing. To me, the corporate office is about human connection, collaboration, training and development. These things are not going anywhere and important. And I had uh, the C- the former CEO of Solid Core, a brand that at DC that's got, you know, I think almost 100 locations now, Ann Malam on the show. And she said in the middle of the pandemic, because I was challenging her on her concept at the time. And she said, Chris, I don't think, and this was like in 
June of 2020. And she's like, I don't think people want to work at home, shop at home, eat at home, sleep at home and work out at home and do everything at home. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. So, okay. Last question. What is one skill you don't possess, but wish you did? Hmm. Um, I'm a really terrible swimmer. I need to take lessons. I'm so bad at swimming. Interesting. That's an interesting one. Where you could maybe you could join our family. I have a four to three year old, and we're taking them for swim lessons every week. You should come. Yeah, please. So just, <laughs> just tell your three year old that the reason I'm I'm doing so bad is I'm just trying to make them feel better. Right? It's not because a forty something year old man who can barely swim. So yeah, <laughs> Brandon. I'm a terrible, terrible athlete. I wish I had bet more athleticism. I got blessed with a lot of things. Athleticism was not one that uh, God gave me. I got the rest though, you know, so that. I wish I had better athletic abilities. Understood. An extremely important extension to our staff at DLC is our insurance and risk management advisor, Smith Brothers Insurance. For 15 years, Smith Brothers has worked closely with us as our outsourced risk management department. All year long, Smith Brothers work with our executive team, property managers, accounting department, as well as our legal department. The day-to-day services they provide frees up our time and makes our jobs easier. Smith Brothers has access to all the major insurers specializing in insuring real estate risk for owners, retail tenants, developers, and property managers. Smith Brothers has clients throughout the United States that make up their retail, habitational, office, and industrial portfolios. To learn more about managing your risk, contact David Soule at 860-430-3335 and visit www.smithbrothersusa.com. Okay. You guys, speaking of new age, you guys just uh, made a deal that made a lot of headlines. Um, Why don't you tell us the story of that deal? Tell us who it is, where it was, and, you know, kind of how it came to be and take us behind the scenes. Sure. Uh, which one? Somebody. That, 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 <laughs> I'm joking. I'm, joking. Um, I'm not joking, but anyway, no. Pat, <laughs> Paddle House, I think you're referencing, right? Correct. Paddle. P-A-D-E-L. So uh, Padel, I think, is the, is the proper way to to, um, to to pronounce it, is a tennis-like sport. Um, it started in Spain, I believe, and has sort of migrated its way over to um, Central and Latin America. And then last the past couple of years um, – with sort of the the rise of Miami and South Florida's like the center of the world with the beautiful weather out there playing the sport outside became like a super, super um, popular uh, activity. And um, being that the migration of New Yorkers that uh, took place going down to Florida and going down to South Florida and Miami, um, a gentleman uh, by the name of Santiago Gomez, who I've represented in the past, uh, he's a big restaurateur here in New York City. He's one of the proprietors of Cosme and of Atla, uh, two very prominent, you know, cool, great, very well respected and, and rated restaurants uh, in New York. Um, said, you know, I want to bring this thing to New York. What do you think? And I said, yeah, I mean, I think it would kill it. The challenge is very clearly the physicalities that you need in order to have an indoor padel court. You need, you know, significant ceiling height, which is tough, you know, in, in an urban setting like New York, enough for the ball to fly in the air and not hit the ceiling, right? So 25 feet plus, not easy to find. That's one. Two, you need column spacing. This is the real hard part that will 
allow you to have courts that are courts, right? So width, major, major width. So those two things alone really, really made it difficult to find the the space in an area that he wanted to be. You know, if you went to a warehouse in the Bronx somewhere or in a sort of a less desirable area from, from a retail standpoint where people would have to take the subway or be driven there or, or, or drive there, it, would, it didn't make sense. So we were actually able to, I mean, we searched high, far and wide all over the place for this concept. And coincidentally, we were looking for space in Williamsburg and we found an amazing location and the deal kind of just sort of fell in place. One of those types of deals that it kind of just seems like it's meant to be. Um, after, don't get me wrong, we took a, a, a lot of stuff that just couldn't work. The space had ceiling heights that were, you know, two feet too low or the column spacing was a foot shy of what regulation is in the paddle world, whatever the regulating body of Padel is. Um, so we got, we, you know, we, we, it, was, it was a very, very, very challenge. One of the toughest requirements that I've ever pursued on behalf of a client, to be honest with you. Um, but we found this great building in, in, in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And, you know, it's right near the bridge, the bridge. So it's right over the water. So anyone that wants to come from Manhattan can come. Uh, obviously, Williamsburg is its own phenomenon right now and has um, what we believe will be sort of a captive audience in the submarket there that lives there. Um, and that's really how it came about. And it turned out to be one of the biggest deals done in, you know, uh, in Brooklyn in the past in 2021, which was, which was cool, uh, from a physical, you know, from a size standpoint, it was 30 some odd thousand square feet. Uh, and that's it. The building's perfect for it. Uh, the location's perfect for it. And we're really excited for it to open and to see sort of how the impact will have on New York, because up to that, there's really no other Padel um, club or facility that can really accommodate that type of, um, you know, the plan there, which is basically having uh, regulation courts uh, up to the masses for members that join the club. So for both of you, a bunch of questions that come to mind. So one, sure. when I'm thinking of the migration that happened, a lot of the, the migration at least as I understand it, was from Manhattan. Was there, and, and, and those are the people getting familiar with this sport in Florida, was there a thought to be in Manhattan over Williamsburg at any point in the discussion? Or was it Williamsburg and why Williamsburg? Um, I can say that Williamsburg and the cooler boroughs were always, you know, the top goal. Um, but the concept did look, they did look for space in Manhattan. It's just, uh, it's really, really hard to find space that works like that and has high ceilings and limited columns and doesn't cost, you know, just really exorbitant rents per square foot in Manhattan. So Williamsburg, you know, it just checked off all the boxes. It was a really special location and a unique set of circumstances around this place. So that's why I worked out there give the audience some context and listeners that aren't in New York city. Mm -hmm. My experience not to be challenging, but people in Manhattan don't like to cross rivers. And so, and they, that's, that's, that's very accurate. Yeah. They don't like to cross the street. That's why there's <laughs> Starbucks on every other block, but go ahead. 
a lot of people in Manhattan, you know, as far as I understand, don't love to cross rivers. So while Williamsburg is this phenomenon, has its captive audience, do you think that people from Manhattan, is this so special of a concept that someone from Manhattan will go on a regular basis to Williamsburg? I'm of the opinion for sure. Um, for really because of the fact that you can't find this, this there, there's one development, I believe on 57th street, that's going to have a coordinate, but it's for people that live there. I believe uh, it's the new Michael Stern project. JDS, I think is building it. So I've heard that they'll have one, uh, but other than that, it doesn't exist. And this thing is such a popular sport. I'm telling you, like when we got this deal done, I was getting calls and texts from people that I didn't even know had my number, even knew who I was like, Oh my God, how did you do this? Amazing. We're so excited. We played in Miami all last year. Um, I've never had feedback like that on a, on a real estate deal. So from that alone, I have a feeling it's going to be wildly successful and look, I'm sure someone will knock it off. I'm sure someone will copy it, but I'm telling you short of taking an existing tennis facility, which obviously all are very popular and successful and converting it to this. I, I, I don't think the space exists, you know, in a traditional retail setting in, uh, in New York City that works for it, for an actual regulation court or courts, I should say. And you know what, too? Like as far as drawing people, I really think that there are so many people in the Williamsburg area and surrounding area that even if you didn't have people crossing the river to get there, you're still going to have a ton of people, you know, packed. So. Got it. I, I'm a landlord, right? So someone comes to me with this new concept, this you know, there's, there's new concepts and then there's new concepts, right? There's new concepts, like it's a new clothing store and this someone's, but I understand, you know, what they're trying to accomplish. You go to a landlord and you say, we're, we're creating a new sport in Manhattan. How is the response from the landlord? And it's not like he's, and maybe, maybe he is, but I, I, I don't know. I don't imagine he's getting a signature on the lease. That's, you know, like, you know, a big, this big corporate entity on this. So there's, a lot of uh, going to change this whole space to be this like sporting venue and it's new and you don't have this big corporate signature. What was the landlord's feedback on that? The landlord thought it was cool. The landlord liked it. Um, I mean, he, yeah, like you said, he didn't get a, you know, you didn't get a, a major corp, Apple right, an Apple credit worthy signature on it, but you did get a, an established, you know, F and B hospitality operator, someone that's incredibly well respected, that has a uh, reputation and, you know, and somewhat of a related type of field, meaning hospitality. Um, so that, that comforted the landlord. And, you know, I think the landlord, I guess, knew about the sport and had an idea as to what it was. I don't know if that's okay. because he was in Miami or just knows what's going on in the, you know, in the, in that, in that world, but he was pretty, pretty good to deal with about that, you know, to, to his credit. So I, it wasn't that much of a, of an issue. Okay. And after you actually found a space and you guys walked out and you're like, all right, this might actually work. How long did it take to get a deal done? Um, I'd say probably about four or five months from then. Typical, you know? Okay. And any, any, interesting bumps in the road along the way, deal terms or anything that might be unique to this use outside of the physical requirements? Um, no, I mean, there was obviously, look, the building is a, is a, it's, it's, you know, a two story, one story type of like, you know, traditional warehouse. So 
the typical requirements from a landlord with regard to like sound attenuation and other types of soundproofing things that a use like this would likely, you know, require because of vibrations and music and people running around all the time and the ball bouncing back and forth weren't really an issue here, which also made it really appealing because any of the, yeah. the one or two other things that were even remotely close to working, you know, they were at the base of 50 story buildings or in the lower level of a, a humongous building. So ownership said, great, we'd love to have him if you could lay it out. But, you know, I just want to be upfront with you. If you can lay it out and we're able to make a deal, great, but you're going to have to soundproof the shit out of this thing. Excuse my language. Sorry. I know we're on a, on a family podcast here, but, um, but no, that, that was sort of the, the challenge, but it didn't really come up in this because of the fact that it's a one story, uh, building. Got it. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I, I've put loud club fitness, uh, class fitness facilities adjacent to a massage studio before. So I'm very, in tune with uh, sound mitigation. Uh, okay, so and when do we expect this to open? Soon. Uh, they, I'd say, within the next two months or so. It'll be open, I believe, by spring. Wow. And is he is he doing memberships? Is he selling like memberships right now? I don't know if that changed, but when as of the last time I got updated on the whole business plan, yes, it was a membership okay. concept. Very, very cool. Well, yep. I'm excited to check it out. I'm not familiar with the sport. I'm going to check out the sport more. And pretty cool. Exciting to see a new concept coming to New York. Really, uh, really cool. And congratulations. What, Thank you so much. What, is, what else can we expect from in New York coming, uh, coming to New York? I think you're going to see – um, you know, truthfully, like I said, the name, the re, we named this company of, uh, after the Renaissance for a reason. And I think you'll see that. I think the benefit of, you know, obviously as terrible as COVID has been for everyone around the world and specifically our city. Um, I think one of the, when it's all said and done, and hopefully that's sooner than later, but when it is all said and done, I think one of the benefits you will see specific to our business and retail is that a lot of these brands and companies and, 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 you know, concepts that were teetering and probably should have been gone 15 or 20 years ago, but somehow stuck it out. COVID cleared the slate. And I think because of that, you'll see disruptions in a lot of different spaces that needed it and new comp, new concepts, whether it's in the medical field, you already see it with, you know, a lot of these, like, uh, I'm not referencing like the COVID testing centers, but you have the, you know, in the dental space, in the medical space, you have these membership concepts, you have, it just seems like there's in every single category, new players that are looking to do things better, smarter, um, you know, in a more interesting, modern technology driven type of way. And I think that that's one of the takeaways that New York will see uh, coming out of COVID in the next however many months. All right. Uh going to hit up the last part of our show. I got three questions for you. Let me know when you're ready. Cool. I'm ready. Thank you for having us, by the way. But yeah, I'm ready. Mike, you ready? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Brandon, if you want to answer first, because I kind of I kind of screwed you over the first round. So please. <laughs> All right. Cool. Let's, All right. go. Let's go. Go for it. Question one. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Sharper Image. Hmm. Mike. Hills Department Stores. It's from the Midwest. I went there all the time when I was a kid. Ah, no one's ever said that one. Very cool. Uh, two, what's the last item over $20 you bought in a store? Sneakers. Hmm. Um, I bought a cake. Cake? 
expensive yeah, cake. Yeah, cake for a party. <laughs> Damn. It was, it was good cake. Okay. Last question. If all three of us went shopping at Target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? I'd say by the uh, – hmm, probably by – the you know i don't know if this is an actual aisle but it should be uh games and you know whether it's video games or board games stuff like that things to do activities oh there's there's a big board game aisle in target there you go there you'd find me there mike this is the hardest question today because i love target and i'll just spend hours walking around it but i'd say probably like the the video games and like books and cd section if cds even still exist i don't know got it music well guys this was great Thank you so much for telling us the story. Thanks for letting us know a little bit more about Mona. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.